Welcome back to the Gridiron Gang Podcast. Week 3 recap and review show. This episode is brought to you by TB Trading Post LLC. Find them at twobeards.club. For all your beard and skincare needs, there's a wonderful range of handmade products, all chemical free, ranging from beard, beard butters, oils, and shampoos to all natural body balm, as well as healing joint and muscle pain balms, body soaps, deodorant, and perfumes. It's a great range of products, so please go check them out and thank you to them for sponsoring us for this episode. Uh, let's just get right into it, Jesse. We're going to start with the Monday night game. LA, Cincinnati, nineteen sixteen win. First win of the year for the Cincinnati Bengals. A banged up Joe Burrow got the job done. What were your main takeaways from this game? I mean, just a really gutsy and gritty performance from Joe Burrow. Um, you could just tell he had no real, like no real mobility. Like, he, quick game all day. Like he didn't really take too many shots down the field. Um, I thought that Cincinnati, the Cincinnati Bengals defense was the star of the show. However, uh, especially in the second half, but even in the first half, they kept they kept the uh, Rams out of the end zone held them to field goals while the offense kind of f- found their feet and kind of got going. And then just complete domination by that defense in the second half. Lou, Lou Anamaru called a heck of a game, just a masterclass performance by him, the defensive coordinator. Really hope he can get some interviews this offseason. I mean, he just put on a clinic yesterday, Eli. He really did. He really did. And shout out to Trey Hendrickson as well as Sam Hubbard leading the way again defensively for the Bengals. Trey Hendrickson with an incredible 10 pressures as well as two sacks and winning on 35.3% of his rush rate against the quarterback. He was out there disrupting this game the entire time, causing tons of havoc for Matt Stafford, especially after we saw his starting left tackle go down with an injury, unfortunately for him. Yeah, and I just, I got to question Sean McVay, like, as soon as that left tackle went down, just, he didn't help out his left tackle, the backup left tackle at all, he didn't help out Matt Stafford at all, there was no tight end chipping, no double team, it was just one-on-one and Trey Hendrickson having his way, Stafford looked miserable by the end of the game, you know, he did all he could, but he was just left out to dry, plain and simple. On the offensive side of the ball, I thought, you know, finally... Zach Taylor and the Bengals started moving their star receiver Jamar Chase around you know I'm so sick of him just lining outside out wide every game you see what the Dolphins do with Tyreek you see what the Vikings do with Justin Jefferson and even Dan Orlovsky on the broadcast said they're finally moving him around and look at the game he had he had 12 catches for like 141 yards on 15 targets that's what you want your playmakers to do you don't want them in one spot the whole game you want to move them around you want to keep the defense guessing and you want to put them in the right positions to succeed especially with an injured quarterback, Eli. Yeah, no, great point, Jesse. And by far, like you say, you see these playmakers across the NFL get utilized like this all the time for a reason, plain and simple, because they're the best players on the field, because they can impact the game more so than anyone else. So exactly like you say, you see them in motion, you see them lining up out of the slot, you see them getting involved, and great performance from him. He needed it. The Bengals needed every last bit of it because this was a tightly contested football game right down to the very end that could have gone either way multiple times throughout the night really physical matchup you know Zach Taylor was once the offensive coordinator for Sean McVay and the LA Rams so to see him get that win against his old team that's got to be a good feeling for him Um, but just at the same time as praising Jamar Chase with the amount of effort that they gave to give Jamar Chase the ball you still like wonder what about Boyd and what about Higgins like this offense is loaded and like 
I just don't see like the variety of plays going to their playmakers like some of the other top offenses in the league and like I find that quite baffling Eli. Yeah, no, and you're starting to see more and more so just in analytics and data alone how much of an impact pre-motion and pre-movement before the snap actually impacts the game from an offensive standpoint. And this is a copy-and-paste league. We all know it. You see the blueprint, you go and utilize it yourself. There's no excuse not to, and they'd have to get these guys way more involved. Like you say, I mean, T. Higgins once again struggled a little bit, a couple drops again, so a rough game for him, but he has those tendencies at times boom bust games thankfully for them the drops didn't end up killing them in this one but yeah no I think that's a great point you raised and I think that's something that the coaching staff really needs to take note of across the league and start utilizing it themselves I couldn't agree more and as for the Rams you know I thought it was a pretty good game for them I they're still exceeding my expectations at this point in the season They, they play tough games they're really physical Aaron Donald is still a machine, but they they need a little bit more help on defense. You know, for me, I only see really, obviously, Aaron Donald popping and Byron Young popping. I mean, Witherspoon had the amazing interception, but you just, by the end of the third quarter, fourth quarter, the Bengals were just doing whatever they wanted against that Rams defense, and that's something that they're going to have to go back, watch the film, correct it, and, you know, just get ready for Indianapolis coming up. Yeah, that's right, and like you say, Indianapolis Colts will present a very difficult matchup depending whoever's at quarterback they have a team that could compete this year and the LA Rams have competed very well it should be a great match there and Cincinnati's going to turn their attention to the Tennessee Titans on the road next week as well um for the other Monday nighter though Jesse that was um a little less of an interesting matchup I would say I had a lot more fun watching the Rams Bengals game than the Philadelphia Eagles versus the Tampa Bay Bucks which ended in a 25 to 11 win for the Philadelphia Eagles who never really looked like they weren't going to win this game at any point. That score doesn't even justify how big of a massacre this game was. Like the Bucks just never had a chance at all. Um you know, we had some conversation uh throughout the week trying to figure out if the Bucks were for real. I mean, they beat the 0 and 3 Vikings, they beat the the terrible 0 and 3 Bears by 3 points and then you know, I think there's a lot of hype for this team and they just got, you know, promptly stomped on in prime time. <clears throat> Baker came back to kind of I mean, I he, he didn't play terrible, but he forced some balls and he pressed a little bit, but the key to this game was, you know, the Bucks they didn't win on first down on offense. They were behind the chains third and long all game and that's been Baker's best down and they couldn't get it done on Monday and you know Jalen Carter just continues to impress according to PFF he is first among interior defenders with 15 pressures that's one ahead of the great Aaron Donald he also had a half sack yesterday and a forced fumble I mean he's already emerging as one of the top defensive playmakers in the league Eli yeah he is by far I mean it's looking like the steal of the draft already at the place that they got him in I mean he was projected to go number one potentially overall before these off-field issues arose with everything that happened there and yeah, he's repaying the belief in them in a big way early on in and, his career. And I just want to add, this could be the perfect situation that he fell to this team with all of the former Georgia Bulldogs that are on this team and, you know, a great mentor in Fletcher Cox, who's a legendary defensive tackle. Who knows if, if this is a reason while, while that Jalen Carter was able to, like, get his mind straight and focus on football. Just a food for thought. Yeah, no, that's a good point that you raised there. And I, yeah, like you say, he's just had crazy impacts in every single game so far, especially from a pressure standpoint. I mean, his size and mobility through the middle there, it's just causing big problems for those offensive fronts. And yeah, speaking of the play calling, like 
like you said, they found themselves behind the chains quite often for the Tampa Bay Bucks, and I feel like a lot of that was due to the lack of imagination on the play calling for first and second downs. Like, you saw them continuing to go with the run, even though it was very evident from early on in the game that Rashad White was unable to find these holes against that big defensive front on Philadelphia, and... Yeah, then you just found Baker like again back against the wall most of the game, and th- this game was simply won on both sides of the lines in the trenches by the Philadelphia Eagles. Jalen Hurts once again, nothing special to write home about. No amazing performance from him, but yeah, he he continues to get the job done, and now he's twenty and one in his last twenty one regular season starts, and that and due to a large part of the team that's surrounding him, I would have to say. And once again, I mean DeAndre Swift. There was questions about who was really going to get that workload, especially after his outstanding performance from the previous week. And yeah, he repaid the faith in him with another master class, 16 carries for 130 yards. So DeAndre Swift looking rejuvenated in Philadelphia this year. Yeah, I've just never seen a team like uh, this Philadelphia Eagles, both sides of the ball in the trenches, they just dominate. I mean, some of the holes that they were opening yesterday in the run game by that offensive line led by Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson and company were just ridiculous. I mean, some of the like some of the plays Swift wasn't getting touched for 8 to 10 yards. Just a just a great offensive line, great defensive line. Shades of like the early 90s Cowboys, like we I haven't seen anything like this in my lifetime and they just simply win games uh, in the trenches. Like, you know, Jalen Hurts had a couple of turnovers yesterday, like you said, nothing special, and it was still an absolutely lopsided game, Eli. It really was. Like you say, the score really doesn't reflect just how dominant Philadelphia really was in this game. And, yeah, I mean, from Tampa Bay's standpoint, that's a big reality check. They're back down to earth after starting 2-0 and this year, and they're going into a big divisional matchup against the New Orleans Saints in New Orleans in uh, one week's time from yeah. now, and I'm I'm very much looking forward to that one, monitoring the health of Derek Carr going in. That'll be a big thing to keep an eye on for that game, and I believe Philadelphia is against... Who, who are they playing again next week, Jesse? I'm just trying to go down the list right now, and I'm not seeing them. Oh yeah, it's the Washington Commanders who just got properly throttled at the hands of the Buffalo Bills, so... Washington, another team coming down to earth, and Philadelphia 3-0 and with what many people would believe not playing their best yet so far. So, I mean, kudos to them. That speaks volumes to their depth of their team, how great they really are across the board, and they'll look to keep it rolling at home against Washington next week. Um, speaking of another primetime matchup, we'll talk about the Sunday nighter now. This is the Pittsburgh Steelers taking on the Las Vegas Raiders in Las Vegas finished at a 23-18 to scoreline in favor of Pittsburgh. And my main takeaway is Josh McDaniels is out of his damn mind, if you ask me. I mean, we're talking two minutes to go. We're talking eight-yard line, fourth and four, and he inexplicably kicks a field goal. And his reasoning after the game was even more perplexing. He said we needed another possession anyways. Uh, last time I checked, Jesse... Six plus two equals eight, and they were down by eight points. This is baffling, absolutely idiotic if you ask me, and I I don't understand. I don't care what type of metrics, what type of analytics, whoever's in his ear telling him to kick that field goal, fire them if that's his decision. Man, that's one of the worst I've ever seen. Yeah, Josh McDonald's a joke of a head coach. Um, The Raiders were just... They were just outclassed on both sides of the ball. You know, Josh Jacobs still can't get it going in the run game. This was the best that he's looked yet, but 
the Raiders have yet to score 20 points in a game with an offensive-minded head coach with a good O-line, Devontae Adams at wide receiver, Jacoby Myers at wide receiver, Hunter Renfrew in the slot. Like, I, Josh McDaniels has to be on the hot seat, Eli. No, I mean, it's perplexing. I mean, and you mentioned uh, um, um, Hunter Renfro, and I, I just feel like this guy is a dynamic. We've seen it in years past. He's a great slot receiver. Yeah. They're, they're not even thinking about no. utilizing this guy in the offense, and it's it's absolutely baffling to me to watch how this team's operating right now. And like you say, you have a generational talent Devontae Adams single-handedly trying to will this team into games and make them win games, and he can't do it by himself, and he can't do it with the game script that they're coming to these games with. Um, on the flip side, though, I gotta give another shout-out yet again. TJ Watt, <laughs> I mean, this guy continues to just amaze. He's on an absolute torrent pace to start this year. Six more pressures, two more sacks. This guy is just killing teams. He's an absolute havoc for anyone who's lined up across from him. And, yeah, he deserves all the respect and then some for everything he's doing for Pittsburgh this year. Almost single-handedly willing this defense to win games for this team right now. Yeah, he's uh, he's got to be right up there with Mika Parsons in the, in the early defensive player of the year race. I mean, he's been absolutely phenomenal. Um, the Steelers fans traveled really well for this game. They took over Allegiant Stadium. Yeah, they were making noise. It when, felt like a yeah, Steelers it, home it, game. it felt like they were at home, absolutely. Yeah. And I will I will shout out their offense yep, as well because yep. they, they changed the script. Yep. They flipped it up. 12 out of the first 15 plays in the first quarter, they used some type of shift or motion, which was tops in the league after finishing 23rd in the league, I believe, in the first two weeks in that type of aspect. So they're understanding what needs to be done, how to get these playmakers involved more. And shout out Najee Harris. What a beast, man. His biggest performance maybe of his career, 65 yards on 19 carries. I mean, yeah, I don't know what the hell to say about Najee. Like that... This guy's gotta get it figured out. They gotta find. They gotta find some sort of run game. I mean, it's actually almost pathetic how little this guy does. It's like he twinkle toes up to the line and he thinks he's Le'Veon Bell slipping through holes and just getting fucking rung up. So I don't know what to say about Najee. He's one of the worst backs in the league. Yeah, so yeah, uh... I mean, like the fact Pittsburgh's even two and one right now after this, it's pretty crazy, man. Yeah, the. You know, Matt Canada was getting some flack this week uh, with the lack of identity from the offense. And even though Najee Harris struggled, I do like that they were, at least they, they kept with the run. It allowed them to do some play actions downfield. Uh, Kenny Pickett with the first two-touchdown game of his short career. Um, you know, George Pickens is just an absolute weapon for them. They still got to feed him the ball more. It's nice to see them getting Calvin Austin involved. He's got three rockets up his ass. Shout out Chris Sims. And, uh, yeah, you know, the Steelers, uh, 2-1, and one, I, th- I think you could say their defense has won their two games for them. And on the other side, I just want to say, you know, Jimmy G, six interceptions in three games, he's throwing the ball up to, like, <laughs> the Steelers. Like, there's not even, like, there was one play where Devontae Adams ran deep down the left sideline, and Jimmy G is staring daggers through him, pointing, go deep. And he, it looked like he just malfunctioned. He just turned to the right and threw up a ball to two Steelers for the interceptions. you got to wonder what's going through his head. That was almost comical, to be honest, because it looked as though at that point he was actually trying to throw it out of bounds even <laughs> and just ruin the play. And like, he couldn't even get the ball out of bounds and ended up being quite probably the easiest interception of his career there. So, um, 
yeah, Jimmy G's got to figure out these turnover issues. This team's not good enough to come back on either side of the ball right now from these types of turnover issues, and that was probably the deciding factor in this game once again and what actually ended up being probably a closer game than should have been with Pittsburgh still kind of struggling to get going offensively this year. Absolutely, Eli. And, uh, you know, Marcus, the, the Raiders, they had their fair share of mistakes. Marcus Peters dropped a clear fire pick six. And he's one of the leading interception. He's got like the second or third most interceptions among active players in the league. Uh, this is just something you've got to make, but they just have a lack of difference makers on defense aside from uh, Max Crosby. They're, you know, the number seventh overall pick, Tyree Wilson, he just looks like a complete bust through three games. He can't even get off the line. Like, I, I, I don't know why they took him over Jalen Carter. Like, they could have used an absolute difference maker. Um, they, Josh McDaniels needs to do some soul searching. He needs to look in the mirror. Uh, Devontae Adams is frustrated. He's making comments about how they don't have the right culture to win games, and he doesn't want to wait around all season for them to figure it out. So this 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 could be getting ugly, Eli, and it's just something to monitor uh, moving forward with the Raiders. It is, and it's not going to get any easier against the L.A. Chargers next week in L.A., so that's up next for the Raiders on their schedule, and Pittsburgh will turn their attention to the very good-looking Houston Texans early on in the in the year, which should be a very interesting matchup in Houston for that one. Um, yeah, turning our attention now to Chicago versus Kansas City, and there's not really much attention that needs to be paid here. It's an absolute beatdown, as everyone predicted it to be. 41-10. to 10. Shout out Travis Kelsey's catching sixes on and off the field right now, yes, as sir. we're all aware of. Yes, sir. Yeah, shout out Taylor Swift, six yep. at best. Yep. Um, Justin Fields. Soft six. Yeah, soft six. Justin Fields, under 100 passing yards. I mean, it sounds like a broken record at this point. He just, his days are numbered. I'm going to be very blunt saying this. This is the NFL. This is a cutthroat business, and I don't believe in this league. You're going to see this guy produce these types of games and be here for very long. Well, good good thing for him is they got the Broncos coming to town, so you know maybe maybe he can get his first uh, three hundred yard game of his life. Who knows? But yeah, this was an absolute ass whooping by the Kansas City Chiefs. Thirty four nothing at halftime. Three hundred and twelve yards for the Chiefs to eighty five for the Bears at halftime. Uh, I barely tuned into the second half. I won't lie to you. As soon as Mahomes, uh, uh, went as soon as he got benched after that touchdown drive to open the second half. I knew the game was over. Uh, George Karloftis, you know, he had a, a really good game for the Chiefs. He had a career-high six pressures on only 20 pass-rushing snaps. That's a 30% pressure rate. And um, Jawan Taylor, you know, he got benched in this in the late second quarter, uh, early third quarter because of uh, he keeps taking those penalties where he's, like, lying the illegal yeah. formation. And they spent, like, $80 million on this guy. But Andy Reid did say uh, after the game that he thinks the officiating is pretty inconsistent on him. I don't know about that. He looks like he's like three yards deep every single time. But, yeah, I mean, the Bears looked like they had a chaotic week. You know, there's comments of, that Justin Fields is blaming the game plans on the coaching and stuff during the week. There is the defensive coordinator resigned and rumors going around there. And they just looked like a dysfunctional team on Sunday. And shout out to Andy Reid, he got his 270th career win, moving him up to fourth all-time uh, for Big Red. Can't say enough good things about him, he's one of the best to ever do it, Eli. Yeah, legendary coach and legendary quarterback right now with Patrick Mahomes, who narrowly avoided a pretty scary-looking ankle injury yet same again, ankle, that same, same ankle, ankle, and it looked pretty nasty how he rolled it there, so really happy to see he was able to shake that off, come out for the start of the second half, but... 
yeah, I don't really have anything more to say because my mom said if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. So I won't be saying anything at all from here on in against the Chicago Bears, who, like you said, if there's ever a game to get right offensively, they're going <laughs> they're going against Denver next week. So you better get it right there after what Denver just went through this week. But uh, Kansas City next on the docket for them. They got the New York Jets in New York Sunday night football, Sunday night football prime time, and a little bit of a more different matchup than what was imagined at the start of the year there. So that's what's looking ahead for these two teams as they look to continue. Um, Here's a bit of a shocker here. Probably the most shocking result of the week, I would say, in my own mind, is Dallas versus Arizona. And this this was a 28-16 win in favor of the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, this is the first win in Jonathan Gannon's managerial career, first win for Joshua Dobbs as a starting quarterback. And I don't think... There's a single person probably beforehand other than some Arizona Cardinal diehard fans Shout that would have gave them any chance whatsoever to win this one. Shout out Lucas too. So, so that's that's pretty incredible stuff there. Um, yeah, what stood out to me the most in this game was just how efficient Joshua Dobbs actually was. He didn't do much, but he also didn't do anything wrong. No turnover, 17 of 21, 189 yards, picked up another 55 yards on the ground, and I think that's just the biggest thing right there is the zero turnovers against a Dallas defense that does nothing but create turnovers for the most part. So, yeah, I don't really know what else to say except for a job well done on their side of the ball. Yeah, I, I really like the game plan on offense. You know, they took what uh, the Eagles did last year when they found success against the Cowboys, and that and by doing that, like, the, the what they did was they were running z- uh, zone option reads right at Mika Parsons and making him make a decision whether to take the running back or take the quarterback. Joshua Dobbs had a huge keeper down the left sideline on one. Um, that's a good way to neutralize one of the best pass rushers in the NFL uh, the Eagles did it last year, and, and I think that was a huge part of Arizona's early success in the first half. Uh, but the Dallas Cowboys, I mean, between the 20s, they were moving the ball like the greatest show on turf. And then as soon as they got in the red zone, they were looking like the 2022 Denver Broncos. Like, they couldn't they couldn't do anything. Dak Prescott, yet again, turnover-free football all year until crunch time. He throws a terrible interception to lose the game. Uh, even with all the injuries on O-line that the Cowboys had, uh, they have no business losing this game to the Arizona Cardinals. And I just I, I just don't have a ton of faith that Dak Prescott is going to get over the hump and get a Super Bowl to the Cowboys. This team is absolutely loaded. And I just that was such a disappointing uh, performance. They couldn't stop the run. They ran the ball well, but just once they got into the red zone, they couldn't find any success, Eli. Yeah, it's a big-time reality check for the Cowboys, who all you could really see online after the first two games was the Cowboys faithful saying how they were Super Bowl-bound, but perhaps not so fast because they couldn't even get through the Arizona Cardinals. And I, I do want to give a shout-out to James Conner on the Cardinals because he's continuing to produce a very rock-solid year for this team that really has to rely on him very heavily on offense that's back-to-back near 100 yard rushing games for him again to start off the season against some pretty good defenses so far so yeah really really good start to the year for him and Mika Parsons as you already previously mentioned I mean found another sack he still finds ways to impact these games he's drawing tons of attention from uh, the offensive side of the ball on how to affect a game and game plan for him so yeah like you said Kudos to the Cardinals. They figured it out. They took a 
took a template of success that they saw from previous seasons and they uh, integrated the game plan very thoroughly and executed very wonderfully in this game to get the win. And this was, for me, the most shocking win of the week, I would have to say, for sure, by far. Yeah, and I just want to really quickly shout out Kazir White, uh, linebacker number seven on the Arizona Cardinals. He played all 81 snaps for them. I mean, that's just really impressive. He had a really good game. And that was a great effort by the Arizona Cardinals to get the first win under Jonathan Gannon. You know, he said he was looking for killers, and they showed up this past Sunday. They did. They really did. And I really think that they're a team to pay attention to going forward because they've been competitive in their other two losses as well so far this year. So Arizona, they've been a big surprise to me personally this year. And they will get Kyler Murray back at some point. Yeah, they will. Yeah, and I think that's going to be a big change for that offense. Who, I mean, Joshua Dobbs, he's, he's doing, he's well, doing yeah. a good job, man. He's doing a good job so far. So well done on his part. But it's going to be no easy task next next week for them to get that second win under Gannon and keep the ball rolling because they're against the San Francisco 49ers in San Francisco. But I'm not going to write them out dead like I have in the past few weeks because they've displayed that they're a competitive team and they deserve some respect at this point. And up next, it's for uh, the Cowboys against the New England Patriots in Dallas. Should be a really fascinating matchup there, too. Yeah, Zeke's big return. And, yeah, I mean, New England's defense, they they do their job and they keep them in game. So I think that'll be a good matchup between those two teams as well. Uh, This next game is, you know, it was a pretty entertaining game to watch. I must say, Carolina-Seattle, just tons of offense in this game. Everyone likes a good shootout. And... The scary thing for me, Jesse, is I thought Carolina actually looked much better with Andy Dalton in at quarterback than Bryce Young so far, and I, I don't think there's even a comparison between what type of teams we've seen with both of these guys under center, and if Andy Dalton's an imp- improvement at quarterback, they, they got a little bit of a problem there early on, I think. And you just got to look at what C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson are doing as well, right, Eli? I mean, I think the main thing is that Andy Dalton has the cojones to push the ball past 4.2 yards. <laughs> So that's the main thing. He's aggressive with his throwing. He's given DJ Chark chances downfield. I mean, that's why, like, DJ Chark is not a separation machine. He's a deep threat. He's explosive. Thielen had a really good game. Um, But the story of this game was just the 12s in Seattle. I mean, they were just so loud, especially in the second half. I think it was... Nine false start penalties for Carolina in this game. They were booming. They were absolutely booming. Like, the line looked completely shattered and lost at times, trying to even listen to what Dalton was saying. Dalton would walk up trying to change the play to the center, and the right tackle would already be jumping. It was, uh, yeah, it was crazy. The 12s were absolutely taking over the atmosphere there, and they... They needed them in every bit of the way because Seattle, for very large portions of that first half, kind of struggled offensively to get into any type of rhythm. Like, don't get me wrong, they were able to move the ball, but they kept stalling out, kicking field goal after field goal after field goal. It looked like they were just going to field goal them to death at one point, and then Andy Dalton started slinging it on the other side. The second half was pretty lights out from both uh, offenses, I thought. A lot, of, a lot of great football to watch on either side of the ball for the second half. Yeah, I was really impressed with what um, Seattle did in the second half offensively. Uh, Shane Waldron got really creative. He was moving DK Metcalf around. He had a really good game. Uh, Ken Walker just breaking tackles out there, catching passes, running hard. He's such a good uh, running back for them. And and they also have Zach Charbonnet, who in the fourth quarter was just the bell cow, just lowering his shoulder, running through guys. I mean, that's a two-headed monster that is going to win you a ton of football games. They're going to keep each other fresh. 
Geno Smith bounced back from the interception. He had a really good game, I thought, you know, in rainy conditions. But, yeah, just the 12s really took over this game. I don't know if Seattle would have done quite as good if they were on the road. I mean, the second half was just a – it was like they had 13 – it was like they had 12 guys on the field. Yeah, it felt like it really lifted them. There, there, there was a similar uh, sense I got while watching the Packers mount their comeback against the Saints. Sometimes you feel these atmospheres and you just feel the belief from the fans and it was just – overpouring with incredible noise throughout that game and they've been known to do that in the past as well so that that's a big big win for Seattle they're they're keeping their momentum going after a huge shootout victory against the Detroit Lions from the previous week so they're putting up points in bunches right now maybe want to tighten a few things up defensively going forward but I think they're they're on the right roll right now, and they're going to be rolling right into New York and Monday Night Football against the Giants this week, and looking to yet again put their uh, footprint on that game offensively. And for Carolina, meanwhile, still not for sure if we're going to have Bryce Young back for next game or not, or if it's going to be the Red Rocket yet again, gunslinging it 58 times throughout the game against the Minnesota Vikings, but... I mean, as bad as the Vikings have looked so far, that's a pretty winnable match for the Carolina Panthers next week, I believe. Yeah, a battle of a couple of 0-3 teams, a couple of teams that are desperate for their first win. So you're definitely going to see and feel the sense of urgency in that one, Eli. Yeah, I believe so as well. And speaking of sense of urgency, uh, Indianapolis versus the Baltimore Ravens. This was a crazy game, man, to be honest with you. And it finished 22-19 for Indianapolis, almost miraculously. Like, Baltimore had multiple overtime possessions starting right at midfield. It was 19-19, and they were unable to get the yards to even give Justin Tucker a chance in overtime to get that game-winning kick. And it was actually Matt Gay who stole the storylines with five field goals in the game and a record four of them coming from over 50 yards. It was clutch stuff from him and a really big win for Indy with uh, Gardner Minshew running the show at quarterback with Anthony Richardson out with a concussion. And Gardner Minshew doing everything he can to help the Colts lose by running out of the end zone to take a safety. That was there. crazy. Yeah, no, it was Two a... weeks in a row that a, a team, a quarterback has done that. Yeah, no, this was a really wild game to watch. It had a lot of twists and turns. You can never really tell who was going to come out with this one. It was very unpredictable all the way through. Um, Zach Moss had another big game for the Colts. They leaned on him heavily with 30 carries and 122 yards, and Lamar led the way for Baltimore rushing. He had one of those classic Lamar rushing performances, 14 carries, 101 yards, and two touchdowns, but also coughed up the ball twice yeah. and losing one of them on the fumble. So Yeah, the Ravens made a ton of mistakes. I mean, they should have won this game. They shot themselves in the foot. The mistakes were a huge reason why they lost. They couldn't get any explosives in the pass game. I mean, Zay Flowers, eight catches for 48 yards. I love the volume. I hate the yardage. You know, he is one of their, he is their most explosive weapon. Get him the ball downfield. Get him the ball in space. You know, he's he brings so much more to the table than that. If you have to use him in the return game, anything, just get something going. Um, Kyle Hamilton, three sacks. He's a, he's a safety, and he had three sacks in the first half. He's an absolute weapon as a box safety. He's really starting to come into his own in year two, and he's really emerging as one of their better players on defense. And, yeah, for the Colts, you know, they were able to get pretty good pressure on Lamar for through the most part. Um, the Ravens have a 
just injuries all over the place. It's it's kind of crazy. It's only week three and like half their team is injured. Yeah, they're beat up in a bad way. And um, yeah, Zara Franklin was beating them up in a bad way too. 15 combined tackles and a sack in the game for the Colts who led the way big time defensively. And yeah, like you said, uh, Kyle Hamilton, what a, what a crazy game for a safety to get three sacks and one of them resorting in a forced fumble, which... Uh, the Colts ended up recovering, but yeah, no, he had a huge impact in this game, and yeah, it just seemed to me that there was really no rhythm offensively at times for the Ravens. They started out really hot. Lamar was, I believe, 8 for 8 with 77 yards or something, and then it just kind of stalled out. They really, like you said, they did not expand the field. They never took any deep shots down the field to these, even... Aglahor, like, I mean, Zay yeah. Flowers, they got speed, man. You got to utilize the speed. Amen. I saw very little Mark Andrews in this yeah. game, which was a little bit shocking to me. Like, usually he's very integral in this offense. So, yeah, I mean, talk about shooting yourself in the foot. It, it, it was a very winnable game. They had multiple chances, like I said, in overtime to get the win, too. Very little times do you get to possess the ball more than once in the overtime in the NFL, and let alone at midfield both times. So, yeah. it's pretty stunning. I just want to chime in. Like, I just... This is now two weeks in a row at the end of a game that the refs have just absolutely blown a pass interference call. And if you're going to call it for the first 55, 56 minutes of the game, you have to call it for the last three, four minutes too. This is getting a little bit ridiculous. Games are being lost with this. Um, it's just a huge, like, it just really grinds my gears. And I just, I had to get that off my chest. Like, I think it's so frustrating. It is, yeah, and we, we've already seen very questionable calls throughout the league uh, this very early on in the season as well, and like you said, that's those are things that change not only the outcomes of games at times, but the outcomes of seasons as well, so yeah, it's, uh, it's never a good thing to see when a game is won or lost on a blown call like that, I, I completely agree for sure. Um, yeah, all I got to say, though, I mean, job well done for Indy. They're 2-1 now, and that's with, with like I said, uh, starting quarterback Anthony Richardson not even playing in this one. So, I mean, really good start to the year for them. They're looking great so far on both sides of the ball and should be a very interesting matchup, like we've already previously mentioned, against the LA Rams uh, next week for them. And Baltimore is going to look to get back on track very quickly against a Cleveland Browns team who has such a feisty Ooh. defense. So... I think that's going to be a pretty, a game. yeah, I think that's going to be a very physical, dirty matchup there. These teams don't like each other, and you're going to see that displayed throughout the entirety of that game for sure. That'll be a good one to watch next week. Um, moving on, though, I, I don't really know if we want to move on to this game or not, Jesse, but it's uh, the Denver Broncos and the Miami Dolphins, and this was historic for all the wrong reasons for the Denver Broncos and just incredible uh, kind of capitulation of Miami's offense throughout the season. Some insane, insane statistics. You really don't even believe that it's real life in the NFL. You might, you might think it's a college game talking about it in a lot of different ways, but I don't even know <laughs> if they reach these types of numbers in college. This is 70 points, 726 yards of total offense. You saw Tua throw a no-look shovel pass touchdown, which was like honestly like ridiculous you you had uh Mostert and who who's the other running back there Devon A. Chain Devon A. Chain combining for eight touchdowns A. Chain with 203 rush yards alone Tyreek doing what he does nine catches 157 yards and a touchdown I mean like this was this ugly was this was embarrassing this was whatever superlative expletive you want to use 
if you're a Denver Broncos fan or faithful of the really? team. Yeah, I mean, it, it was crazy. It was really crazy to watch. Like, you almost don't even believe what you're seeing when you're watching this game and looking back at highlights. It doesn't really feel real to me with a coach as decorated as Sean Payton to allow this type of embarrassment, Jesse. I've never felt anything like this in my entire life of watching the Denver Broncos. I mean, I'm literally, it's Tuesday here. I'm disgusted. I'm pissed off. I'm angry. I'm, I'm just so embarrassed. Like, I threw, threw some Broncos gear in the trash. Um... So this was just a piss-poor, pathetic performance, piss-poor effort across the board. Vance Joseph, it's a like, damn miracle you're still employed. Like You gave up 70 points in an NFL game. 24 missed tackles by the Denver Broncos. Oh, um, ugly. There's just not a whole lot of good things to say here. Miami is a damn good football team. They have no business scoring 70 points in an NFL game. That's a freaking joke. Um, yeah, just want to shout out Marvin Mims, another big game for him. Um, you know, he's second in the, in the league in yards for rookies. He only has seven catches for 195 yards. He leads the league in yards per catch. He had a 99 yard kick return. He's only playing, he played 15 snaps and he's our best player. I don't get what's going on there, but honestly, really quick, Sean Payton, you need to look yourself in the mirror. You need to do some soul searching. You're getting paid 20 million fucking dollars a year. Um, I don't, yeah, that's unacceptable, you know, not just me, Broncos fans all across the world, they deserve better than that, this is a historic franchise that has fallen on hard times, I don't know if, is Denver just the place where you go to just piss away your legacy now, like Russ, Sean Payton, I'm at a loss for words, Eli, um, I don't want to spend too much time, uh, shitting on them, it was a really good game by the Dolphins, they look like Super Bowl contenders, Vic Vangio absolutely slapped his former team in the face on defense, called a great game. Uh, you could tell what team played harder, what team came to play. Pat Sertan had his worst game as a pro. He had like he shadowed Tyreek Hill 61% of the times and gave up four catches against him for 99 yards and a touchdown. I can live with that. You know, Tyreek Hill is one of the best to ever do it. Speed kills. Uh, but Denver, you got the Bears coming to town. Please don't lose that game. I don't know if I can, what I will do. Um, and yeah, Miami and Buffalo, that should be a banger, Eli. Yeah, it really should. And I, yeah, quickly just want to touch on like culture in sports. You hear it all the time. Culture is a big thing from within teams, within fan bases. And this is unacceptable in every sense of the word. And even as a person looking in from the outside who's not a fan of the team it's 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 a slap in the face to the NFL in general to allow this type of embarrassment to come at the hands of any football team and like i said Sean Payton you mentioned it uh, that's 20 mil buddy for you to come here and you, you didn't get brought here to let this happen especially after the comments he made at the beginning of the season against previous head coach Nathaniel Hackett that is just eating his own words in a really bad way there so the, the positive note is it's early there's in none. the season. There's none. It's 0-3. That's all there is to it. Three games done, three losses, as bad as they were and as different as they were. There's a lot of time still. It's a marathon season. There is time to turn it around, and I don't believe there's a better opportunity next week to turn it around than against a very woeful Bears team in their own right, too. So that's a game where, like, 
you're going to see something really go on if the Broncos end up not winning that game. I believe you're going to see multiple job losses. I don't know from where exactly, but yeah, like, that that's a must-win game in every sense of the word because coming after that, they have the Jets coming up too who are floundering without Aaron Rodgers. So there's a very big opportunity to right the ship in a hurry and get back on track and get back into competition this season for the Broncos. But it just it makes me wonder if like the game has passed Sean Payton by during his time. Like, you know, like I, I'm I'm at a loss for words, Eli. I mean, this was nothing short of embarrassing. Like it's I'm like ashamed to wear Broncos gear in public right now. Like it this is a, a tough pill to swallow. You know, they're the laughing stock of the league right now. In my mind it's hard to even say that the Bears are the worst team in football after that performance, you know? Like I I swear to God, man. Yeah, that's that's the only thing is that it was at the hands of the Dolphins who everyone's now <laughs> believing in the Super Bowl story for Miami, so that's that's the one thing to take away, but I also wanted to throw out an insane stat that I came across, and we're talking speed kills. We've said it time and time again, and Miami possesses some of the most insane speed the NFL has ever seen. They now have all six of the fastest players recorded throughout this season with Tyreek Hill three times. Uh, um, I believe Mostert once and a chain, I think twice, yeah. with all with speeds over 21 and a half miles per hour at multiple different times throughout the season like that's that's some insane stuff that they have on this team and and i mean we're not even mentioning uh jalen i just want to say so. really quick they dropped a 70 burger without jalen yeah Waddle. think about that yeah like that's a, that's that. the scary thing is that we didn't even mention jalen waddle and they were able to do this so it's it's wild for miami they're going to be raucous going forward they're their fan base is going to really be believing in the Super Bowl story now, so we'll we'll wait and see because it's a big test against a Buffalo team that really looks like they just stepped up their game the last two weeks next week, so that'll be game of the week type of material. It shouldn't sure. be at 10 a.m. No, no, that should be a primetime game. Get your scheduling right, NFL. Okay, Jesse, and next up we have the New England Patriots. Uh, just hold that co- uh, thought quick, Eli. Um, my fiance is just really annoyed with how scruffy my beard was, and I'm looking for like a really quality beard butter, beard butter or uh, beard oil. Do you have any recommendations? Well, now that you mention it, Jesse, I think I have exactly what you need. Actually, I think you could visit the TP TB Trading Post LLC at twobeards.club, and they have everything you need and then some there. And the best part about it, all chemical free, all handmade products. Awesome. I'll check out that website as soon as we're done wrapping up this podcast, Eli. Yeah, you tell your fiance, put her mind at ease, because we'll get those shipped out to you, and you'll be looking better than ever. Thank you. And that is brought to you by TwoBeards.Club. What do you think about this New England Jets game, Jesse? This 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 is might, might be one of the worst offensive games I think we've seen all year. Yeah, this, this was a really tough game to watch. I mean... Both, both two good defenses. Don't get me wrong, but um, just you, you know, you can just see the frustration boiling over on the Jets sideline. Whether it's Michael Carter yapping at his running back coach Garrett Wilson giving it to Zach Wilson, I just you know, as a as a Broncos fan, I just I'm laughing because it's the offense just looks as piss poor as it did last year with Coach Hackett. Uh, he's also a joke. <laughs> Um, you know, they, they, the only reason they brought him in was to get Aaron Rodgers, and he's simply showing two years in a row that he cannot get it done without Aaron Rodgers, Eli. Yeah, I mean, that's as simple as it is, really. I mean, you're talking about 
quite literally just two horrible games in a slant row. Slant flat, curl flat. They're they're curl not slant. using any motion whatsoever. No shifts before before the the snaps, and it's just looking really rough, man. I mean, even from an entertainment standpoint, like let alone winning games, it's like they're just playing boring football. Like back I, to back ten point games. I personally just hate watching teams play that. Basically, I mean, like you like to see this motion, you like to see the movement, you like to see the ball spread around the field, and they're they're not doing any of that and they're not even having an opportunity with that front line to even get Brees Hall or Dalvin Cook involved whatsoever in the offense that's 18 yards on 12 carries for Hall and 18 on eight carries for Cook that's that's not going to get anything done that's not going to free up your quarterback at all especially when you're not making motion before the snaps and you're making it very predictable for the defense to read what you're going to do. So, yeah, yeah and don't, to watch. And don't get me wrong, Zach Wilson is not playing good. He's seeing ghosts taking sacks by nobody. But I just I don't think that uh, Nathaniel Hackett is putting him in a position to succeed as such a bland offense, like you said. And it's just such a mismatch against a great defensive mind in Bill Belichick. Matt Judon, Christian Barrymore, the front seven, got after Zach Wilson all game. The Jets' O-line is pathetic. Um, yeah, and, you know... The, the Patriots really only had one explosive. It was that 58-yard touchdown to Farrell Brown, his first target of the year. Um, Sauce was supposed to take the deep third, but he kind of jumped uh, the route. You could just tell that that was a game plan specific play that the, the Patriots knew kind of what Sauce was going to do there, and it worked to perfection. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, besides that one play where they did have that big explosion, it was very dull from the Patriots offensively as well. Without that, Mac Jones would have had probably well under 150 passing yards in the game. He barely completed 50% of his passes as well. They relied heavily on uh, throwback performance from Zeke Elliott, where he had 80 rushing yards on 16 attempts. Five yards of carry. Yeah, that was probably like one of the best I've seen from him in yours. a very, very long time. So congrats to Zeke for having a big bounce back performance in a long time there. And uh, Ramondre Stevenson also chipping in, doing the dirty work in the trenches. Mm-hmm. 19 touches for uh, 59 yards for him as well. So yeah, this game was just largely controlled by that run game because, like I said, both offenses were so bad that like any yardage made a big difference in this game and it was actually uh the new england patriots who did not turn over the ball once throughout the game as well so really like really rainy and shitty conditions yeah it was it was an ugly game to watch and i I don't really know yeah i don't really know where the jets go from here i mean zach wilson struggled mightily on third downs especially only uh, only converting two of 14 third downs this week after only one out of 10 last week against dallas if my math adds up that's three for 24 that is abysmal that's not going to win you football games if you can't keep the chains moving that's going to lose you your job yeah icon new york jet legend joe namath he said he's had enough of watching zach wilson he publicly blasted him very hard which i think is a little bit harsh because i think i think i think it lies deeper than just zach wilson like like we've said he was he wasn't good enough himself he 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 takes accountability as well but he's a young guy he's still trying to compete and win these games and yeah like they had a chance to win this game as bad as it was and that's that's the reality of the situation in this one at least they got their ass whooped against the cowboys the week prior that wasn't the case here and if you're New England, you're feeling a little bit relieved finally uh, on the right end of this type of scoreline after two good battles in their first two games as well. So big win for Belichick to not go 0-3 for only the second time in his career at New England yeah. since his uh, first year coaching there, I believe. So yeah, good good, good win for them. And um, 
yeah, Jet's got a lot of soul searching to do, and they got to do it quickly, and they're going to be turning around and looking at a monster in the Kansas City Chiefs in prime time next week, so they're going to want to really get back on track for that one, and it'll be the New England Patriots taking on, I believe it is uh, the, the Dallas, Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys yeah. yeah, speaking of the Cowboys in Dallas, so yeah, I mean... I don't. I don't really know what to say for the Jets. Like, kind of hoping that they figure it out. I, gonna, I hate to see them struggle like that. So I'm just gonna chime in really quick. For as bad as Zach Wilson has been and how much slander he's taking, um, if they can't get any kind of run game going, I don't know what Joe Namath and Jets fans really expect from their quarterback. You know, um, he's not gonna stand back there and dice you up like a Peyton Manning or a Drew Brees. He needs some help around him. He's young. He's still. He's still pretty raw, and he's, he's playing with no confidence, Eli. Yeah, and it, it doesn't help hearing your own media turn on you so quickly in just a two-game span after he took over the starting job with Rodgers going down. They beat the so, Bills. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, and he was a big part of that in that win, too. So, yeah, it's tough, man. It's tough. The New York media, as we know, very relentless cut to throat. its players. They're cutthroat. They expect results immediately, and... Uh, yeah, pressure's on now, and rightfully so, I guess, but it's it's not going to get any easier against the Chiefs uh, this Sunday night, that's for sure. Um, yeah, another pretty shocking scoreline. Houston against Jacksonville ended up in a 37-17 win for the Houston Texans, and it's, it's that guy looking great yet again. It's that rookie, C.J. Stroud, leading the way. He played absolutely phenomenally he he finally got some protection from the offensive line who actually gave up the most pressures and the most sacks in the entire nfl through the first two weeks and cj stroud against the blitz was eight for 11 with 130 yards and two touchdowns so even when he saw the pressure he acclimated to it and he diced them up for a very very good game from him yeah uh cj stroud has been nothing short of impressive through the first three games of his career um he's decision making he's has been on point um he's got a really quick release i praise his mechanics on every episode so i won't do that today but i just there's not enough good things to say about him you know a lot of slander from from the media for him coming out of the draft saying he got like an all-time low uh iq score and stuff like that and and it's just like you know, he's just a kid, you know, and, like, th- those kind of things I don't think should be going public. And yeah, now, I promise you don't win games on paper either way. Yeah. He, he definitely took that to heart, and he's displaying, I think, phenomenal uh, quarterback play this year so far. Exactly, and, you know, the last two games, Tank Dell has really emerged as a playmaker for them, and it was actually C.J. Stroud who went to, you know, the Nick Casario, the GM, and, and, and Cal McNair, the owner, and, and asked them to draft Tank Dell in the third round. And you're kind of seeing that chemistry form, you know, between the two of the two of their young players, Eli. Yeah, you really are, and he really is blossoming into an elite threat in this league. He had a massive 68-yard touchdown in that game, throwing up the peace sign, little Tyreek Kill action right there on that one. Um, yeah, this this was just a great game. This was a big win, the first win of D'Amico Ryan's uh, head coaching career, as well as C.J. Stroud's quarterback career. So I, I don't think many people expected them to throttle jacksonville the way that they did in this game so yeah this is a huge statement win really for houston who's been very competitive as well in their first two games i think they uh yeah they've they've really pleased me offensively watching them especially and and if you flip the script to jacksonville you gotta you gotta really do a little soul searching now man um 
Calvin Ridley, we we praised boy, him. Man. We praised him early on. We praised him in the preview show. We repaid the praise in week one, and he's been uh, probably showing a little bit too much rust since then. In the last two games, he had three more drop passes, two of them in the end zone. Yeah. That ain't gonna help your quarterback. That's not gonna help Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Travis Etienne really led the way offensively with 138 total yards. They got him the ball early and often, but. Yeah, you just saw drive after drive really stall out, especially in the first half. They couldn't really get anything going against this uh, beat-up Texans team, too. This is a very injured football team that just dominated out here, Jesse. It's really shocking, man. It's just really, like, piss-poor by the Jacksonville Jags special teams. Uh, They had a missed field goal. They had a field goal blocked. And somehow they gave up an 85-yard kick return to a frickin' fullback who frickin' fumbled the, the kickoff at first. And still managed to take it 85 yards to the house. The crazy thing about that is he, he turned on the Jets, too. He actually had a max speed of over 20 miles per hour, which is, I don't, I don't even know how a guy that size can move that fast. So that that was that was shocking. And the, the blocked field goal by uh, rookie Will Anderson Jr. led to a touchdown yeah. as well. So, yeah, a couple key moments that really just kept the momentum going for Houston in you this know, game. I'm getting serious shades of Doug Peterson's offense from his time in Philly after Carson Wentz's almost MVP year where he tore his ACL. Not a lot of guys open. Uh, It looks like the league is kind of catching on to the offense. Uh, I don't know if I just thought too highly of the Jags entering the season, but I've been really disappointed with uh, them overall. I think, you know, Trevor Lawrence not playing his best ball, but, you know, he's not getting any help. The Jaguars lead the league in drops um, with nine Trevor Lawrence also leads the league in big-time throws with nine, so that just kind of tells you how little help that he's getting. Um, but like you said, there's no excuse. He had 70 something, 75, 76 yards in the first half. They couldn't get anything going. You need more from that. you got to open up the playbook. you got to get more creative. And I just, Trayvon Walker, the number one pick from the 2022 draft, he's just literally invisible out there. He doesn't, like, like you said, the Houston's O-line's banged up. They're struggling. They've given up a ton of sacks, a ton of pressures. And between Trayvon Walker and Josh Allen not being able to get home, not being able to get generate a, like a ton of pressure without blitzing, I don't know, Eli. I just, I've been really disappointed with this team overall to start the season through three games. Yeah, and that's a big, it's even a bigger loss because it's a divisional matchup. And now this division's looking wide open. Like it this, really is. This, this is really looking like it's anyone's for the taking. I know it's early on, but every game matters in the NFL. This is a marathon. It's a long season, but every single one of these games matters, especially when it's an interdivisional matchup like this one. And yeah, the Jags are going to really, really have to do a lot of in, inner looking before they're flying all the way across overseas to London this week too. So short, I mean, shorter week because of all, all the travel yeah. that they're going to have to do. And they're going to have to get ready for a Atlanta Falcons team in London this week at a 6.30 a.m. our time kickoff in the West Coast here. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that game for two, two different reasons. One, to see if the Jags get right. And two, to see if the Atlanta Falcons can find their way back on track after they had a couple very good games before getting humbled at the hands of the uh, Detroit Lions this week. And for Houston, as we touched on, they're going to be playing against the Pittsburgh Steelers at home next week as well. And I think that's a very winnable game. I think they're going to be flying in with a lot of confidence after how they just played. I mean, the Steelers' D's looking electric, but I'm looking forward to both those matchups. Absolutely. I think uh, those will be good ones to watch next week. Um, 
Yeah, and anyways, I guess I'll move us along after all that to Tennessee versus Cleveland. This is a good old-fashioned ass-whooping, Jesse. 27-3 to win for the Cleveland Browns, and once again, it's that defense, man. They are just looking incredible to start this year. They've given up one touchdown in 39 drives. I mean, and that was like a 70-something yard catch by Pickens, like just one one real big play, you know? Can't say good enough good things about Jim Schwartz. Miles Garrett's an absolute beast. Three and a half sacks. I mean, there was times where he was moving from left to right and they were having two tight ends following him, taking delay of games. Like, I've never seen anything like that in my 20-plus years of watching football, Eli. No, it was it was really something special to watch. I think this defense, I mean, it's really hard this early on to say who really has the best defense, but it, they better be on everyone's top They're three right up at this there point. With, with San Francisco and the Dallas Cowboys, like, yeah. they really are, you know? Yeah, I, I could even argue that they've probably, like, showcased the best in all three games so far. But, yeah, it's it's early on, like I said, and there's a, there's a long season ahead. But this defense is doing just some incredible stuff, and it's led yet again by that guy, uh, as you mentioned, Miles Garrett. He Three and a half sacks is just ridiculous again, especially with you see two tight ends yeah. moving in motion to, to double-team them before, uh, before coverage and in the pre-snap. It's absolutely nuts it's like they're almost making the offense play defense at that point it's pretty crazy how they were uh, scripting against him in that game yeah i totally agree and, and deshaun watson had a uh, probably his best game in like three years definitely his best game as a brown 27 to 33 but you know me none of that shit matters it was the quality of throws that he was making making some really nice throws downfield really nice tight window throws accurate throwing tight spirals um i was really impressed with his overall performance can't stand the guy, but credit where credit's due on the field. He had a, a nice bounce back game from just a really ugly game last week against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, I completely agree. You got to give him credit. He definitely he looked his most confident. His 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 character on the field, the way that he was holding himself. He had his shoulders risen high. He had his head high. He was walking with a guy with more swagger in this game, and I think. I think the defense plays a big part in that because it freed him up in a big way to be able to go out there and play with more freedom like that as well. And uh, uh, Let me just say really quick, sorry, Eli. Uh, speaking of that defense, the Titans had three points, 94 yards of offense, two for 12 on third down, and uh, and six first downs in the game, 2.1 yards of play, Eli. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's atrocious stuff. That's absolutely abysmal from an offensive standpoint, and... I think, I, I don't want to say it too early, but I mean, Derrick Henry, man, are we starting to see this beast finally slow down a little He's bit? That's, 30, right? that's 20 yards on 11 carries. I know I know they got a great front, Cleveland. Uh, that's 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 a little over 1.8 yards a carry right there, and he, he really has not had any substance of any, any sort so far to no. start the year. He hasn't broke 100 yards yet this year. I, I don't even know if he has 100 yards total. In the first three games, I'd, I'd have to look into that. I'd say it's probably barely over 100 yards rushing because I remember the Saints held him to only 63 yards. And yeah, I guess he had 79 against the Chargers looking back on it, but that's on 25 rushes. So he's really averaging barely over maybe two and a half to three yards a carry. 3.2 yards Yeah, carry. That's, that's, that's that's stunning from him. And especially where uh, Tennessee and Mike Vrabel, they pride themselves on these lines. They pride themselves yeah. like physically overwhelming teams that's usually Mike Frabel's uh uh standpoint as a as a coach so it's really really shocking to see that and I don't really know 
what the answers are for Tennessee if they can't establish Derrick Henry in the run game. Tannehill's not going to go out and gunsling you to a victory. That, they don't even have the receivers to do that if they want yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, they, that's it's not going to get any easier next week against uh, Cincinnati for Tennessee. I mean, Joe Burrow is banged up. I still think Cincinnati's a much better football team oh, than yeah. Tennessee right now, even with a very injured Joe Burrow. And, yeah, we touched on it a little earlier. It'll be Cleveland-Baltimore, and I think that'll be just a great game to watch. It might not be a great scoreline. It might be a dirty scoreline, but I think that'll be a really, really good football Physical, game. Physical, divisional matchup, Eli. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that one on Sunday morning as well. So, uh, yeah, that's what's up next for these two football teams. And what's up next for us is the Atlanta uh, Falcons against the Detroit Lions. And... Yeah, Detroit bounced back after a devastating overtime loss to Seattle last week. They completely manhandled this team, really. It was a 20-6 to win, and I, that's almost a disrespectful scoreline to how dominant the Lions' defense really was in this game. They had seven sacks, 11 tackles for loss, and held Atlanta to just 183 yards of total offense and only 44 yards rushing between uh, the electric B. John Robinson and Tyler Allegier, so... Aiden Hutchinson showed up, finally got two sacks after all those pressures he's had early in the year, one of them uh, resulting in a forced fumble. And on the Atlanta side of the defense, Jesse Bates continuing his stellar start to the year with another interception. So really good start for him, but it was ultimately uh, not enough for Atlanta to overtake this game and end up flipping the script on Detroit. They kind of got manhandled out there. Yeah, just before getting into the game, uh, before getting into the details of the game, I just want to say how impressive the Detroit Lions draft class has been this year. I'm just going to read off a couple of things of their three other first four picks so far. So they're Brian Branch, he had 11 tackles, three for a loss, and two pass breakups. Jameer Gibbs had 17 carries for 80 yards. And Sam Laporta, eight catches for 84 yards and a touchdown. He's got the most catches of any tight end through his first three games with 19. He's had five catches in every single game. So... Moving on from that, yeah, just what a performance by the defense. They set the tone for the Detroit Lions. They were hunted all game. They, You could tell they have absolutely zero respect for the Atlanta Falcons passing game. They were loading the box and just daring, daring Desmond Ritter to beat them through the air. And he just simply should not be playing right now. Like, I don't think that he gives them the best chance to win. Like, Taylor Heineke, we've seen at least make plays in this league. So I don't know how much farther they can go with him unless he can turn it around quickly, Eli. Yeah, and it's 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 tough because it's such a good team that he has around him that he really doesn't need to do much to win games. But even him not needing to do much, I, I don't think he's capable of even putting up that type of output right now. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's a it's a tough scene for. Uh, how easy it is for a game uh, game script defensively to, to really contain this Falcons team. It's like you shut down the run and you're shutting down this whole team, period. That's that's kind of what we just saw uh, Detroit display for us on, on this football game. So, yeah, I completely agree with you. I think Desmond Ritter, man, I mean, like, I hate ripping on these young guys, man, but I this mean, is a cutthroat business. We'll say it time and time again. And if you have a, 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 a team around yourself like this team, the time is now for the Atlanta Falcons. The division is open. They have every right to go win that division this year. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Like you say, like we have seen Tyler Henneke. We, we've seen him 
Taylor. Taylor Henneke. We've seen him throw throw gun gun gunsling his way through games before, and He's I think he'll he'll yeah he'll at least open up the game and give them ability to yeah. throw downfield and get Drake London, get Cal. I mean, Cal Pitts, man. This guy's done fuck all <laughs> in his whole career so far. Like it's crazy how much hype was around this guy when he was arriving into the league, and we're seeing Sam Laporta just displaying all that hype real quick for Detroit. It's like Kyle Pitts possesses similar traits to him. Do oh, he's something. got way, way more physically like gifted. Yeah, like do something to get this guy the ball. Like he, he like let him try to make yeah. an impact in these games. It's it's crazy to watch. Really. I don't know what what's going on there. If it's schematically related, if Kyle Pitts is just more of an athlete than a football player, like it's one of the most puzzling things in the league. He's got a crazy wingspan, such a big catch radius. Desmond Ritter overthrew him on like a fifty yard pass, but. Enough with that crap. I just want to praise jo- uh, Jared Goff. He's playing really good football right now. He's so aggressive uh, since coming to the Detroit Lions. He doesn't give a shit if he's throwing the ball downfield or not. And I think that's the kind of plays you need those explosives to win in this league, Eli. Showing by that deep pass to Sam Laporta and with the Falcons not being able to get anything going in their passing game. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And that really starts with the mindset from the Detroit head coach. Like Dan Campbell plays to win games. He doesn't care if he's going to lose the game going out there playing to win and making decisions to let his team play their best football. And that resonates throughout the rest of their lineup. You see the physicality they play with on both sides of the ball and you see the will that they're playing with right now. Like this team really believes and they really believe that Jared Goff can take them as far as like playoffs for sure should be well within the reach this year with the team that they have and how they're playing right now so yeah and it was good to see Jameer Gibbs he I mean stepping up in that uh, workhorse role with uh, Montgomery being out for this game he had a very respectable commendable game I would have liked to see him involved in the pass game a little more but didn't really need it all that much with uh, Amon Ross St. Brown doing what he continues to do with over 100 yards and like you touched on Laporta as well with a great game so yeah that's a that's a really great win for Detroit, and I they think... They get Jamo, Jameson Williams back in three games, too, adding another weapon to that offense. That's right. That's a long-forgotten character because he's been out for such a long time since being drafted, too. So, yeah, that's that's going to be a big piece for him to come back and find a way to integrate him. Short week for Detroit coming up big against, uh, yep, the Green Bay Packers. It is a big game. Thursday night football, and both teams at 2-1 and one looking to take a stranglehold on the NFC North right now in that one. So that'll be a phenomenal Thursday matchup for that one and as we touched on it'll be Atlanta traveling to London next week to take on the Jacksonville Jaguars um yeah and speaking of the Green Bay Packers uh it's the Packers who took on the New Orleans Saints and this was probably one of the more crushing defeats that I could remember in recent times where this game was really all within our grasp for way too long it never really looked like it was going to be out of our control it ended up being an 18-17 win for Green Bay largely due to the fact that Derek Carr sustained a pretty bad shoulder injury it looked it Easy looked joint. yeah it looked like it could have been pretty darn bad when he got tossed down i wasn't sure if it was a concussion or shoulder at first he kind of got tossed on his head ended up landing more on his shoulder but either way it became very clear that he was not going to return to the game very quickly and I just want to say because we mentioned it for Seattle's crowd uh Lambo was rocking man they're rocking Home behind opener. their guy and they they believed even when down 17 going into the fourth quarter they didn't stop believing in Jordan Love that stadium was freaking booming for Jordan Love to lead them on a comeback and he he did just that it was 
incredible, incredible turnaround. Uh, the Saints still had an opportunity to win. Uh, rookie kicker missed the 46-yarder to end the game. Sadly for him, he's been pretty rock solid so far this year. So, you know, you, you roll with those blows. That's going to happen every now and then. We still have a lot of faith in him. But, yeah, I mean, all, all credit due to Jordan Love, Matt LaFleur, and this Green Bay Packers team. I mean, what a win. What a comeback. And did it in some pretty incredible fashion, Jesse. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty gutsy performance by them. Missing four, I would argue they're four best players. Um, add in Rashawn Gary, too. He played, but they were missing Jerry Alexander. They were missing Christian Watson. They were missing David Bakhtiari, and they were missing Aaron Jones. So, you know, shaky start for them on offense. Love wasn't great in the first half, but he had three absolute big boy drives to end the game when they had to have it. Also, shout out for uh, Matt LaFleur for using like I'm not a huge analytic guy but he went for two when they got their first touchdown when there was 17-9 to go up to to go to 17-11. I was that, questioning that at the time too I was kind of shocked to see yeah, that. Yeah and that's what ultimately won them the game because they got that touchdown they got the point after and that's what gave them 18 right so I thought it was a pretty good team win for them I thought it showed a lot about this team that they could dig deep and find uh a way to pull out a win like that you know trailing by that much they're a really young team Jordan loves a really young quarterback but there are some rooms there are some room for improvements especially from Jordan Love he's uh leads the league in uh 31.5 percent of his passes are uncatchable so they can get even better than what they are and what they have been, and I, I do expect that as the season goes along and as Jordan Love grows as an NFL quarterback. But like you said, the Saints were not able to get anything going once Derek Carr went down. Um, I will say I'm excited. I know you must be excited for Alvin Kamara's debut next oh, week. God, That'll add yeah. a huge... Uh, new piece and dynamic piece to the offense. Yeah, we've had no run game whatsoever to speak of throughout the first three games so far. We desperately need him, especially in that red zone. He he brings a flair to this team that we simply don't have right now. One thing I was very frustrated about was the lack of involvement for Rashid Shahid. I mean, this guy's so electric, takes a kick return to the house, 76 yards. Um, sorry, punt return, but... um. Yeah, he was not involved in the pass game at all, and this guy simply needs to be involved. Uh, Chris Olave, he, he continues to display just brilliant talent at the wide receiver position, but I, I think Rashid Shahid needs to be our number two and, we touched on that and a little week. bit less of Mike Thomas because Mike Thomas does not have the attributes that Shahid has with the speed and no. his, uh, his mobility outside of uh, route running. So, yeah, I was disappointed to see them not get him more involved, and in terms of Green Bay, this was a historic comeback, I have to mention. This is only the third time in the last 30 years that a team was held scoreless at halftime, being down by 17 or more points, and went on to win the game. So, yeah, true character win in, in his home opener for Jordan Love and I company there. I know for there. a fact that he, that he joined Peyton Manning on that list. Yeah. And that's a, that's good company to join. Yeah, that's, that's always a great name for any quarterback to be mentioned alongside. And Green Bay, as we mentioned just before this, Short week, big turnaround, staying at home, playing against the Detroit Lions, both teams 2-1, and one, looking to take control of that division in this matchup in Week 4, and it's the Saints with their own divisional matchup at home against the Tampa Bay Bucks, who just got properly uh, put in their place by the Philadelphia Eagles on Monday night, as we all saw. And speaking of getting properly put in your place, uh, 
I better eat my words, Jesse, because the Washington Commanders, <laughs> best best name in football, might I add, got sat down big time at the hands of just a better football team by far, especially on the day in the Buffalo Bills. I will, however, have to mention right off the top, Sam Howell got pressured relentlessly on 27 out of his 39 dropbacks, which is a 69% second highest ever in the next-gen stats era. Seven different Bills generated four or more pressures, led by Ed Oliver with seven. Uh, Six Bills with at least a sack. Bernard and Floyd had two apiece. Four interceptions, one was a pick six. I mean, Jesus Christ, this just sounds bad reading it out loud here. Uh, yeah, this was just a beat down. The O-line was nowhere to be seen. you probably better off throwing a couple giant pylons out there and see what the hell happens. Like, Sam Howell got beat up bad, and they never really looked like they had any chance of getting into this football game, Jesse. Yeah, like you said, nine sacks for the Bills. Four interceptions, that's without Von Miller. So this defense has a chance to be really special this year, Eli, when, especially when Von Miller it's comes It's a great back. point you raised. I almost completely forgot about big Von Miller not even being in there. No, that's that's insane two games for this defense yeah. uh, against the Raiders as well last week. Yeah, and Washington, I mean, their offensive line has been historically trashed to start this year, Eli. 19 sacks given up through three games. That's the most like in well over 50, 60 years. Um, not all of that's on them. Sam Howell, you know, young quarterback holds on to the ball. He was way, way too loose with the ball this Sunday, just throwing up some really questionable passes. You know, he's got to tone that down. They're not built for that. They're not built to come back. He like, he's not a veteran yet. Right. But, uh, you know, Josh Allen, he's playing pretty efficient. They, they got, they finally got that run game going. If like they finally got a run game going outside of Josh Allen, the last two weeks, James Cooks has really stepped up. But I just, I don't know. I don't know about like what to make of this Washington team. The two games at home, they've scored a combined twenty three points, and then they explode for thirty five against a terrible Denver defense. And it's looking more like that might be defensively related more than offensively related for Washington so I just I don't know what to make with them I they got Philly coming up and with that offensive line that they have and that defensive it could line be ugly. Oh, yeah it could be really they ugly. need Eric Benemy needs to come in with a proper game plan quick passes RPOs you know Otherwise, Sam Howell's in for a nightmare, Eli. Yeah, no, that that is for sure, man. That's that could be a really ugly scene in that game. Um, yeah, like you said, he's a young quarterback and he's still learning this game, the nuances and everything, and he needs protection or else he's going to be in uh in trouble and in for a long year. That's for sure. So they got to figure out that line. I don't really know how or what they're going to do to do that, but I do want to shout out um. Defensively for Buffalo, Terrell Bernard, he joined some legendary company. This was his second pick in a row, second game with an interception in a row, but he also had two or more sacks, a fumble recovery, and an interception. This was the first time since Brian Urlacher did that in 2007. Hall of Famer. Yeah, so yeah, just a really historic performance defensively from him, so that's a... Yeah, wonderful, wonderful role that Buffalo just found themselves on after a very difficult week one loss to uh, the New York Jets. So they're on track. They're looking good. They're looking better than good, to be honest. And they're going to have to keep looking good in that big matchup against the Dolphins uh, this upcoming week, Jesse. And as you touched on, Commanders, they're in for a tough game. They're in for a big divisional battle. And 
yeah, they don't want to get embarrassed two weeks in a row, so they'll try to right the ship against a good-looking uh, Philly team that's probably not playing their best right now either. So, yeah, anyways, um, first uh, for the last uh, Sunday game, we got the L.A. Chargers and the Minnesota Vikings. And as we all expected, I mean, this was always going to be a one-score game. It was always going to be somewhat of a shootout. These two teams suck ass defensively. I can't really even say it any other way at this point. And... Finally, Justin Herbert was not the guy to choke away a chance at winning in the end of the game. It uh, bestowed the honor of Kirk Cousins to do just that, who couldn't handle the home team noise on the last drive with the chance to win, which is a kind of a shocking comment to make after throwing that pick there. But yeah, it's a 28-24 win for LA. LA is now not winless and Minnesota remains winless. Yeah, and you touched on uh, the two shit defenses. It's pretty hilarious because, like we mentioned, Brandon Staley, defense head coach. The Chargers have the most expensive defense in the entire NFL, and they just get 350, 400 yards put up against them on a weekly basis. It's one of the more mind-boggling things in the entire NFL. John St- uh, or sorry, Brandon Staley absolutely just saved by the bell. He had a terrible decision to go for it on fourth down. Like, I just... It's too early in the season to do that. You're in your own. You're in your own. Uh, near your own end zone. That was crazy, yeah. man. That was that was mind blowing. I just and I. It's not the first time we've seen him do that. So he got bailed out. Keenan Allen had a whale of a game. He's the first player in NFL history to have three games with 15 catches or more. And with Mike Williams going down with his ACL injury, Keenan Allen's really going to have to step up and become uh, even more of a primary option for Justin Herbert. Yeah, he might have to keep throwing touchdowns too. Even uh, that was a really really cool play that they ran there with him hitting uh, Williams for that forty nine yard score. So it's called the Keenan special. Yeah, 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 it really is. That's a massive game, as you say, for Keenan Allen and uh, Justin Herbert putting some haters in their place, getting a win finally, and he got absolutely pressured all day long they pressured him on 40 out of 50 dropbacks with the blitz 82 percent second highest ever in the next gen stats era and herbert for the first time in his career he was getting the ball out really fast at 2.26 seconds per throw on average and he just continued to dice up this team the entire game they totally bailed on the run they had joshua kelly leading the way with 12 yards on 11 carries uh, yeah, they just said, screw the run, we can't do it, and we know we're going to dice up this team with our passing game, and Herbert did it all day long to Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, who combined for well over 300 yards between the two of them, and Herbert throwing for over 400, so yeah, yeah put some respect on Herbert's name, man, because not a lot of people out there do for whatever reason, I think he's a sensational quarterback, cannon of an arm, and yeah, I think they're just they need a better defense because the problem is certainly well, not him at the offensive side of the ball. I don't know how they're gonna get a better defense with the most expensive defense putting up numbers like that. It's crazy. I mean, at a certain at a certain point, the coach who calls the defense needs to look in the freaking mirror here. But yeah, I thought this was. Uh, I think you can argue this was the best game of Justin Herbert's uh, young career so far. Forty or forty-seven. I mean, that's ridiculous. And a lot of intermediate passing in Kellen Moore's new system here. Last year was a lot of dink and dunks. I noticed there was a lot of 8, 10, 12, 15-yard throws right up Justin Herbert's alley. I wonder, I mean, is it a coincidence that he had maybe the best game of his career after that Oregon Ducks ass-kicking of Colorado? I mean, who knows, right? So shout-out shout out to Herbert. 
Um, also, the Vikings were 11-0 and in one-score games last year, and they're now 0-3 this year. So you just you knew that that couldn't keep up last year. The, 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 like, they just, they're not ha- finding that same success. The attention to detail maybe in the practices aren't as good as last year. Um, they, they have a winnable game coming up, but I don't think too many people, Eli, would have called the Vikings being 0-3 to start this year. No, I had them to win the division, so count me in for them not, not starting the year, uh, 0-3. That's, that's some shocking stuff, and, uh, not a good sign, because I believe, I think I read a stat that said since 1990, only four teams ended up making the playoffs so you're since, telling me Denver has since a starting 0-3. I'm saying there's a chance. <laughs> I'm saying there's not a big one, but I'm saying there is a chance. And in a game with not a lot of uh, good defense, I do want to mention, uh, pardon me if I get his name wrong, Tui, Tui Pulotu on the Chargers uh, led the way with 10 pressures, which is the second most ever by a rookie behind only uh, Nick Bosa back in 2019 when he had 11 in a single game. So... Yeah, really, really legendary company early on to be uh, mentioned alongside of for him. So, yeah, big standout for the Chargers defensively, and there wasn't much of it, so shout out to him. Yeah, the Vikings, they just, they can't stay um, out of, they can't stay out of their own ways, like with the turnovers. Another fumble, another interception in crunch time. They're really, really hurting themselves, Eli. It's not like... Like, they're in every game they've played, and just these costs... If they could eliminate these turnovers, they, they have a real chance of being 3-0, and Eli. Yeah, no, it is crazy, and you're right. You're absolutely right. Like the, We all know it time and time again. Turnovers change games in the NFL, and they change them fast. And, yeah, you're never going to win... You're never going to win games if your turnover discrepancy is by far on the wrong side of that needle. So, absolutely, that's something to... Uh, keep an eye on and you said minus seven right so that's the worst that's the worst ratio in the nfl yeah. right now for no, the vikings exactly. and you're not going to win any no, games like that you don't deserve to win games no. if you can't take care of the ball and also yeah by the way herbert uh second fastest quarterback ever to reach fifteen thousand passing yards behind only patrick mahomes so yeah all the haters i mean suck on that man he's yeah. he's definitely doing his job and hopefully the rest of the team gets it figured out And speaking of getting it figured out, uh, we're on to our last game, which is the Thursday Nighter Week 3 matchup between the San Francisco 49ers and the New York Giants. And this was just a bit... I don't know. I don't even know if you can say it was competitive by any measure. It was just an easy, easy cruise of a win for San Fran, taking it 32-12. Christian McCaffrey just extended his touchdown streak to 12 straight games, matching... uh, Jerry Rice for the record of San Francisco and only three shy of the all-time NFL record as well. So Christian McCaffrey continuing to impact games in a big way for this team. And it was a really easy win, to be completely honest. It was a really easy win. And I thought Brock Purdy was pretty freaking terrible, especially in the first half. He missed a ton of throws, a couple dropped interceptions. You saw George Kittle going full defensive back mode on a couple of those passes. With the touchdown, Sully. Yeah, Yeah. so just to win a game this easily with your quarterback having, you know, it's probably that was probably one of the the worst games of his career. Like, I mean, he was definitely off accuracy-wise on a ton of throws. But at the end of the day, it didn't really matter with the, how banged up the Giants' O-line is and just how much resources they've spent on that O-line. I know that there's some injuries, but it just hasn't worked out like how they probably envisioned it. Um, Kayvon Thibodeau has been freaking invisible to start the year. He had uh, a single pressure coming into this third game, and I know he got their first sack of the year, but 
it was a covered sack, Eli. You know, Purdy was holding on to the ball. It was not like Kayvon Thibodeau flew off the ball and beat his guy. So, yeah, the, I thought, you know, it was a total master class for the 49ers. Debo Samuel had a crazy game, didn't he, Eli? Yeah, I mean, that's what you come to expect from him. That's what you just come to expect from the San Francisco team. And uh, speaking of crazy, they gained 215 yards out of the 310 passing yards after the catch exactly. that's a 70 nearly 70 percent rate of gains after the catch so as you said we just saw a very shaky Brock Purdy in this game probably the worst that I've seen so far in his short career and they just handily beat this team down and it was it was never even a game and that's that speaks to the volumes of these playmakers of the Debo Samuels of the Christian McCaffreys and the Brandon Ayukes who didn't even play in this game. Like, they all have this crazy capability to make things happen after the catch. Like, they, they all position those players, as you've mentioned before, yeah. especially with Debo and uh, CMC. Yeah. And, I mean, finally saw Kittle get involved in the offense, which is nice, too, because he's such a good threat as well. Yeah. He does so much work for them, uh, pass blocking and uh, run blocking as well. So it's always nice to see him get involved and get his dues on the offense as well. But this is just a dangerous-looking team. If they're playing that poorly by what standards we hold them to and they're winning a game 30-12 to 12 in the NFL, that just speaks volumes to just the character they have on this team. They've scored exactly 30 points in all three games, so it just shows you how consistent their offense can be. Even if Purdy has an off night, they have the playmakers to, to make it happen. Um, yeah, Debo was just so physical on Thursday night, just breaking through tackles, running through tackles. You know, two years ago when he was first-team All-Pro, he uh, led the league in yards after the catch. And he looks like he's right back to that form this year, Eli. He looks motivated. He looks hungry. Uh, he's physical. I just can't say enough good things about him. And also, shout-out Ronnie Bell, the seventh-rounder who stepped up in uh, Brandon Ayuk's absence. You know, he had a touchdown. He had a couple of big catches. So, I mean, it's just scary that you have guys that can come off the bench. I feel like in Kyle Shanahan's offense, like, it doesn't even really matter who's in there. It's almost like a plug-and-play system. It is. No, like like I mentioned, it is, it's a scary proposition what this team can really uh, get going and doing in the NFC and possibly even making that run, as we mentioned, to the Super Bowl with this unit. And, yeah, Nick Bose is off and running now. He just got his first sack of the season, too. They've kind of been easing him back in. He hasn't really played on all the snaps that he wants to be playing in later in the season. They're trying to ease him back into action after his... Uh, Injuries. I, I do want to say um, McFadden de- defensively for the Giants. I mean, what a standout. Like, as bad as the Giants were, he was flying all over the place. He was making so many tackles and getting involved all over the place defensively. Kept seeing number 41 pop up there. So, yeah, if there's anything to take away from this game, I would say highlight to him for the Giants. And, yeah, just more of the same for San Fran going forward. I mean, they're really just making it look very easy so far in the NFL, which you shouldn't be able to do no matter against what team and what type of caliber you're playing against. This is still the NFL after all. So, yeah, pretty wild start. And they're playing against the surprising Arizona Cardinals next week as well. So, I mean, I don't think they're going to take them lightly after what they just saw them do to to the Dallas Cowboys. So, I think, yeah, I think they're going to come in very prepared for that one after watching that midweek as well. And for the Giants, I believe that they're taking on the um, Seahawks Monday night football. So, yeah, I I don't know. I I don't really know where the Giants go from here. I haven't been 
remotely impressed from the Giants so far we this year. should mention also Saquon Barkley, high ankle sprain, didn't play in this game. Yeah, we that's, don't know that's a big loss. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, that's a huge loss. Like, he's a big, integral part of that offense, and they, that's, not a, that's not a guy they can replace. This no. isn't like a San Fran system where no. you could just plug and play. So you can't replace a guy like Saquon Barkley, and they're finding themselves at the basement of the NFC East early on. So it's a really big Monday nighter for the Giants to really try desperate, to... Uh, yeah, they're, they're desperate already early on to try to stay relevant for this season. And next up, we have the Gridiron Gang Performers of the Week. I'm going to kick us off here with the Defensive Player of the Week, Rashawn Gary. He had three sacks and three tackles for loss in a big 18-17 comeback win for the Packers in Gary's first home game since tearing his ACL last year. Next up, we have the coach-slash-coordinator of the week. We're going to go with the Miami Dolphins head coach-slash-play caller Mike McDaniels. The Dolphins had a historic 726 yards, the most ever in an NFL game, and the most points scored since 1961 was 70. And I just want to add that Mike McDaniels grew up as a Denver Broncos fan. He grew up as a Denver Broncos ball boy, and... Two years ago, uh, during the hiring process, the Broncos didn't even interview him uh, for head coach vacancy the year that they hired Nathaniel Hackett. So I'm just wondering if Mike McDaniel took that a little personally in that game, Eli. Yeah, you got to imagine even even the coaches keep chips on their shoulder like that, Jesse. So that's a great point you make there. Uh, our offensive performer of the week will go to none other than Justin Herbert. 40 completions out of 47 attempts, 405 yards, three touchdowns, and more importantly, got them their first win of the year. So great job for Justin Herbert, and our rookie can go to no one else other than a chain on... Devon a chain on the Miami Dolphins. I mean, what a ridiculous performance this was with 18 carries, 203 rushing yards, two touchdowns, as well as four catches for 30 yards and two more receiving touchdowns. So he had a total of four touchdowns and over 230 yards of offense. It's absolutely ridiculous numbers this guy put up as not even the starting running back. So that's going to wrap it up for our performers of the week, and that's going to wrap up our Week 3 review and recap show. Um, yeah, thank thank you so much. We are the Gridiron Gang Podcast. We will keep doing this every single week. Catch us Wednesdays with our review shows, Saturday mornings coming out live with our pick show for the next slate of games on the weekend. You could listen anywhere in the world on any audio podcast that you could possibly find us on, no matter if it's Spotify, Apple, Google, you name it, we'll be there. Catch us on our TikTok. We're getting way more active on TikTok with all of our game picks and a little more content that we're going to be bringing there at Gridiron Gang Pod. And continue emailing us and getting after us to see if you want to be involved in this at all on uh, gridirongang at gmail.com as well. And find us also at Instagram now. We just released our Instagram account at gridirongangpod. So find podcast. us podcast on on, uh, on Instagram too and Twitter, gridirongangpod. So yeah, everywhere you look, you'll find us. And yeah, if you want to do any deals sponsorship-wise, if you want to be involved in these shows as guests, if you want to get uh, questions to us before the games or after the games of what you want us to recap or touch on going forward. We are open to all suggestions. So, yeah, keep getting at us at everywhere that you can find us. And, uh, yeah, we hope to see you next week on this show and on the weekend with uh, me and my guest as well on Saturday morning. So, uh, signing off, I'm Eli. 
I'm Jesse. Yeah. And we'll see you next week. Peace, gang.